Well, today we're going to continue our series, actually wrap up our series entitled Better Things, and we're uh, going to go ahead and just dive right into the scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry insomuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And Hebrews 12, 24 says, And you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of better things, forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. And so we said, if you look at that first point, we said life is better with Jesus. Amen? And uh, if you're here today and you've never experienced life with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? And if you'll just step out in faith today and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I promise you this, you will find out without a shadow of a doubt, life is better with Jesus, right? And we said according to the scriptures that we have a better covenant, right? We celebrated that better covenant today through the blood of Jesus. Through communion this morning, we celebrated that we have a new covenant with God, amen? That we're no longer on the outside looking in. We actually have been brought into the very presence of God uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have a better covenant, and we have better promises, amen? How many know the promises in the Old Testament were based on your performance? The promises in the New Testament are based on His sacrifice, Hey, that's a better promise, amen, because sometimes my performance doesn't match up to what I need, but his sacrifice is always sufficient to meet every need in my life and in your life too, amen. So we have a better covenant based on better promises so we can enjoy the better things that God has for us. And I want to just challenge you today to ask yourself this question as we kind of wrap up this series, am I really enjoying the better things of God? Am I walking in the things that Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died, and rose again for me to experience. As we took communion together this morning, we were reminded of the sacrifice that was made. We were reminded of the price that was paid. And so today, are we walking in those better things? Are we really walking in them? And I can be honest with you and say, hey, there's more I believe that God wants to do. There are better things in Christ that I have yet to partake of. And I want to just encourage you today to join me in this journey and let's stay committed to the process. Amen. Let's stay committed to pursuing the better things. If you look at that next point on your outline, we just said that better isn't always easier, right? But better is always better, right? And so we're pursuing the better things. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could have an easy life. Jesus died on the cross so we could have a better covenant based on better promises so we could enjoy the better things that his blood has purchased for us. So we're not here today following Jesus because we're looking for an easy life. We're here today following Jesus because we're looking for the best life that we can live a better life through Christ here on earth and ultimately in heaven. Amen. How many glad there's a real place called heaven where those who believe in Christ are going to get to spend eternity in the very presence of God. And so we are living our lives for the better things that God has called us. And we talked a little bit about the difference between what we want and what we need. And how that it's really easy in our commercialized society to pursue the easy way instead of pursuing the better way. But we are, we are understanding as believers in Christ that it's not always about the easy path, it's about the better path. And sometimes doing what is better is a little more difficult on the front end. But how many of you know the end result is always good? Amen? And that's what we're pressing in towards. So on week one, we said that purity 
is better than immorality because it creates sticking power. We talked a little bit about what does that really mean to have sticking power, the ability to stay consistently and st stability in our relationships, in our life, in our ministry, and just in general across the entire board of our life, so to speak. We also said on week one that generosity is better than greed, right? That we want to be a generous people because you can never take your way into the will of God, but you can give your way into the will of God. Right? You can be generous and give of your time, your talents, and your resources, and you can give yourself right into the will of God, right into the plan and purpose that God has for you. And that true prosperity, reaching our destination, is really only possible when we embrace a generous spirit. Right? When we stop living for ourselves and we start being sacrificial in giving of ourselves to other people and ultimately... For the kingdom of God. Now, last week we spent a whole Sunday talking about how forgiveness is better than vengeance, right? And we talked about the importance of that, how forgiveness frees us, how forgiveness empowers us, and how forgiveness enables us really to grab hold of the better things. And let me just encourage you, if you didn't hear either of those messages, go out to our podcast, go out to our website, go out to our Facebook page and listen to those sermons, specifically last Sunday's sermon, because I can say without a shadow of a doubt, that after 26 years of pastoring, hands down, the one thing that I believe keeps more Christians from entering in to the life that God has for them is unforgiveness. And we get stuck in that unforgiveness and that bitterness and that resentment which creates a vengeful spirit. And we spend our lives trying to get even instead of getting free and finding the empowerment and the enablement of the Holy Spirit to walk out what God really has for us. So today we're going to look... Uh, at one more thing as we kind of talk about better things, <clears throat> and we're going to talk about something we probably don't talk enough about in church, and that is we're going to talk today about the discipline of God. So look at that next statement. Discipline is better than abandon, and that seems like a really weird phrase, probably not even grammatically correct, okay? But we're going to hold on to that thought for just a minute. I'm going to explain what that means to you. So discipline is better than abandon. Because it affirms us, it teaches us, and it produces within us the better things that God has for us. So I'm going to explain what I mean by the phrase abandon in just a minute. But before I do, let's see what the scripture says in Hebrews 12 about the discipline of God. It says, and have you forgotten, verse 5, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. I want to stop right there for just a minute. First of all, the writer of Hebrews says, have you forgotten, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you? So the word of discipline from the Lord is an encouraging word. God intended to encourage us by reminding us of how important his discipline is in our lives. And then he makes two statements about discipline. Look what he says. He says, don't make light of it and don't give up when he corrects you. So let me just say this. Never minimize the discipline of the Lord because what we're going to see today is that God's discipline is an irreplaceable ingredient in our journey of faith. It's an irreplaceable ingredient in our journey of faith. In other words, you can't go where God wants you to go. You can't become who God wants you to be apart from his discipline. His discipline is a required ingredient in the process of faith and us becoming who he's called us to be. So don't make light of it. Don't push it off, say it's not that important, it really doesn't matter. And then he says, and don't give up when God corrects you. Don't be overwhelmed by it. 
Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it dishearten you. Don't, don't get into this condemnation mentality. Well, I'm never going to get in. I'm never going to measure up, so I might as well stop trying. No, that's not God, guys. God disciplines us because he loves us. God disciplines us because he cares about us. God disciplines us because he understands that apart from the discipline of God, we will never become the people we have been called to be. And so the Bible starts out by saying God's discipline. Let me encourage you and remind you that God's discipline, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, is for your good. Now look at the next few verses here. He says, for God disciplines, verse 6, for God disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. And as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. For whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. And since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For if our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, we're just going to stop right there, and I want to give you a definition of discipline. And before I tell you what discipline is, let me tell you what it's not. The discipline of, not, of God is not you getting cancer. It's not you having a heart attack. It's not somebody you love dying. That's not the discipline of God. Think about this for just a minute. This word discipline that we're going to see is an amazing word. It literally in the Greek means this. It means a holistic approach. And by holistic, the word holistic there means body, soul, and spirit. How many of you understand you are a body, a soul, and a spirit? You're actually a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. Everybody okay with that? So you are creating the image of God. You are a triune being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and you live in a body. And holistic, this is what discipline is. Discipline is a holistic approach to training and educating for the purpose of a desired end. Now, in this case, the desired end of God's discipline is that we would look like, walk like, talk like, and act like Jesus. Right, Romans actually tells us that God has predestined or predetermined that those who would come to Christ would be conformed into the image and likeness of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean? It simply means this. Those who come to Christ, God's predetermined plan for their life is that you and I would look like, walk like, talk like, act like Jesus. Right? We are Christians. We are to be Christ-like. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are to represent or re present Jesus to the world. So the word discipline literally means this. It means a holistic approach of training and education for the purpose of becoming more and more like Jesus. So God wants to train you. God wants to educate you. God wants to equip you. God wants to empower you. God wants to discipline you so that you and I will look more and more and more like Jesus. How many of you realize that when you got saved, your spirit man got born again? Anybody believe that? Amen? Amen. 
And all of a sudden, your spirit man was born again in the image and likeness of God. And now you have a spirit that is perfected or, or transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus, but that spirit has a soul that lives in a body that hadn't caught up yet. Right? And so that's why the Bible says we're supposed to work out our salvation. It never says work for your salvation. You can't work for salvation. It's a gift given only to, given to humanity by grace and we receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. So the Bible says work out your salvation. What does that mean? It means that what God has done into your spirit needs to be worked out into your soul and manifested in your flesh so that now, so that what you look like on the inside begins to be manifested on the outside so that people see Jesus in you and through you and around you and upon you as you live your life for his glory. And so the discipline of God is a process of training and educating you so that your spirit man begins to transform your soulish man, which begins to manifest in your physical man the very image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so God is disciplining us. He is training and educating us, equipping and preparing us for the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now... The reason I said a while ago cancer, heart attack, the loss of a loved one is not the discipline of God is because how many parents we got in the room here today? Very good. So let me ask how many of you parents are going to give your kids cancer for not cleaning their room? How many of you parents are going to give your kids cancer for not going to the college you want them to go to? How many of you kids are going to give your kids, how many of you parents are going to give your kids cancer because they didn't pursue the career path you wanted them to pursue? How many of you parents are going to give your kids cancer because they disappointed you and made a horrible mistake that affected everybody that you loved and now you're going to punish them with this thing called cancer? There's not a parent in this room that has any bit of good in them that would give their children cancer to punish them. But somehow we think a good God would do that to us? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit and give good things to those that he loves? Cancer and heart disease and the loss of loved one, all those are the repercussions of sin in a world stained by sin and bad things happen to good people because we live in a world that has been defiled by the sin and perversion and corruption of the flesh. But we have a good God, a good Father who loves you and he wants to discipline you. He wants to train and educate you so that what he's put in you will begin to work through you so that you'll look more and more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. That is the discipline of God. And we're going to see today how significant that is. Now, now is, is that training and educating hard? Yes. As a matter of fact, the scripture says the discipline of God is painful. It is. It's hard. Anybody in here graduate from high school? Anybody here graduate from college? Man, you know what? It was hard. It was hard disciplining yourself to study, disciplining yourself to show up to class, disciplining yourself. And all of us that graduated high school, we probably none of us want to do it again. And especially if you graduated college, how many would love back and do that again? Nobody. Well, I'm glad I got the degree. I'm glad I got the career. I'm glad I got the education. But I don't want to do it again. Why? It was hard. It was late nights. 
It was hard. It was difficult tests. It was challenging papers. It was, it was all these things that I was working through. Anybody in here ever been to the gym? All three of you. Anybody else? Come on, guys. Y'all, anybody in here ever seen a gym? The reason we don't go to the gym is because we know it's hard. Right? It's hard, right? The most difficult piece of equipment in the gym is the door. Man, it's hard, right? We know if we walk in that treadmill, we're going to sweat. It's going to be hard. Then weights, all that stuff, push-ups, set-ups. I mean, come on. It is not fun. And if you really work out, you're going to feel it the next day, right? It may be a few days. It's painful. It's difficult. It's challenging. But it's discipline. And it's good. For you. Discipline is better than abandon. Now let's look in Romans 1. Let me give you a picture. Romans 1.28 says this. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, the they here represents the world. It represents people that have rejected God and turned their backs on God and mocked God and walked away from God and hardened their hearts to, toward God. And then this is what it says. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. And their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless and have no mercy. And they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse, yet they encourage others to do them too. Let me tell you the worst thing that can happen to a person is that God would abandon you to your own foolish thinking. That God would let you have your way without any divine intervention or conviction or drawing. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and, and pretend to, uh, to act like I understand really how all that works. But this is what I do understand. There is a defining line that people can cross where you reject God and 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 you reject God. And God finally, I want you to hear this, abandons you to your own thinking. God just says, okay, you want to live your life without me? Live it. Well, Pastor Keith, how could a loving God abandon somebody to their own foolish thinking, knowing that it's going to end in their own destruction temporally and ultimately eternally in a place called hell? Let me tell you how a loving God can do that. Because he's a loving God. See, God actually loves you and I so much to allow us to choose whether we'll serve him or not, whether we'll live for him or not. See, if you don't have a choice, it ain't love. If I make you love me, that's not love. If I make you serve me, that's not love. In order for there to be love, there has to be a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That is the most loving thing God has ever done for humanity. And for a person that refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses to follow God, there comes a point where God says, okay, I love you so much, I'm going to let you have what you want. You want a life without me? You can have it. 
Now that is the total extreme over here. And I can say to you today, discipline is better than abandon. I don't want to be abandoned to my own foolish thinking. I don't want to be abandoned to my own way of living. I don't want to be abandoned to a life and ultimately an eternity without God. Now the fact that you're in church today is probably evident you're not there. <laughs> Praise God. But the reality is we live in a world today, when you read that list of stuff I just read, now those are things we've all probably committed in some shape, form, or fashion. But we have a world bent on evil out there. And isn't it amazing how our world continues to create new ways of sinning? <laughs> how is that possible? Because there comes a point where God abandons a person to their own will, to their own thoughts, and to their own desires, which ultimately always ends in self-destruction and eternal separation from God. So I don't know about you today, I am glad that we have the discipline of God. So let's talk about the importance of the discipline of God in our life. Look at that next point on your outline. So discipline affirms. It affirms that we are the children of God. Because if God doesn't discipline us, then we are not his children at all. Look what Hebrews 12, 8. I want to read it to you again. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, how many of his children does he discipline? All of his children. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Man, you know what's awesome about the discipline of God? It affirms that we are the children of God. Let me tell you, let me just talk about myself here for a minute. I can't even think about doing the wrong thing without God convicting me. I can't even think about being selfish without the Holy Spirit convicting me. I can't, I can't speak a cross word to my wife without the Holy Spirit convicting me. I can't raise my voice to my kids without the Holy Spirit convicting me. God disciplines all those that are His. If you're a child of God, you know what God does? He disciplines you. Now that training and education comes in many forms and fashions. I'm going to start right here with a little word called conviction. God convicts you. Let me tell you what conviction is. Let me, let me just distinguish between conviction and condemnation. Conviction draws you to God. Condemnation pushes you away from God. Condemnation says you're sorry, you're no good, you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to get it right, so you might as well not even try. If you hear those words in your head, that's not God. God is not condemning you. God is not judging you. God is not pushing you away. He's not shaming you. God is convicting. You know what he's doing? He is convicting you and drawing you back unto himself. He is convicting you and he is drawing you unto his presence. He's acknowledging, hey, what you did was wrong. What you did was sin. What you did you should never do again. And then he convicts you. He identifies your fault and your failure. And then he draws you unto himself so he can empower you and teach you and equip you and train you how to never do it again. And praise God for that. I'm so glad I can't get away with anything. It makes me so happy. Right? I'm just telling you, there's not one thing in my life God overlooks. God never overlooks sin in the lives of his children. Why? Because you're his child. 
and God disciplines those that are his. He loves you. So what does he do? He convicts you when you do wrong. Now let me give you another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there is no regret for that kind of sorrow. King James calls it godly sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Godly sorrow leads you to repentance. It brings you back to God and leads you away from sin. Worldly sorrow, the Bible says, has no repentance and produces spiritual death. See, there's two kinds of sorrow when we do something wrong. There's a sorrow that comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit that makes me want to run back to God and never do what I did again. And then there's the sorrow of the world that says, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I had to pay the ticket for speeding. I'm sorry I had to go to jail for the crimes I committed. I'm sorry that my marriage ended in divorce because I was unfaithful to my spouse. I'm sorry that my kids are hurting because of my stupidity. But I want to figure out how I can continue to do what I've been doing and just not get called again. See, that's worldly sorrow. If the only thing you learn from your sin when you sin is how to not get caught when you sin again, then you need to ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Because the sorrow that God brings produces repentance and draws me and you back to God. The sorrow of the world causes me to go deeper and deeper into spiritual death. Right? Because we get caught, we suffer the pain of our sin and our choices, and now we get, we get more spiritually deceived and we become more creative in our exploits of sin. It's like the teenager that gets in trouble for doing something, so they try to figure out how they can keep doing it but not get caught next time. That's worldly sorrow. But guess what? That doesn't end with teenagers. I know a lot of adults doing the same thing. They get caught, they suffer the pain of their sorrow and their sin, and now they try to figure out how can I keep doing what I've always wanted to do and always done. I just don't want to get caught and suffer for it anymore. So what happens is, is we go deeper and deeper into spiritual darkness because now we start weaving, weaving a web of deception in order to cover our sin. The Bible says whoever covers their sin will never prosper, but whoever confesses it and forsakes it will find mercy and grace. So the discipline of God affirms us. Right, The fact that God convicts us of sin is affirmation that I'm a child of God. God is dealing with me like a child. He's dealing with me like a child. Let me tell you what I've never done. I've never grounded your child. And you've never grounded mine. But I ground my kids. I whoop my kids. <laughs> we have this little thing in Arab called whoopings. Right? When my kids were growing up, they, they knew what a whooping was. And they knew what discipline was. But you know what? I didn't whoop your kids and you didn't whoop my kids because if you did or I did, we'd have problems. Right? Now, back in the day, you could do that, but we don't do that anymore. Right? I grew up, I grew up back in the day. I'm, I'm only 47 years old, but I remember growing up, me and my next door neighbor, we was always playing and running around. We stayed at his house a lot during the summer. And his mom 
would whoop both of us if we got in trouble. Right? And we did not have godly sorrow. No, we didn't. She had, anybody know what a razor strap is? She had a razor strap she would whoop us with. So one day after she whooped us, we, we did not repent. Let me just say that really quick. We were in worldly sorrow. There was no repentance. We were trying to figure out how to do what we wanted to do and not get a whooping. So we took her razor strap. We took the mirror off the wall in the bathroom and hid the razor strap behind the mirror. <laughs> Ten years later, when they remodeled their bathroom, they found the razor strap. We were wicked, evil children. And you know what? That's how many adults live their life. How can I hide the razor strap? How can I keep from getting caught again? How can I do what I've always been doing and not suffer any repercussions from it? Let me tell you something. If you're living that kind of life, you need to ask yourself, are you really a child of God? Because the discipline of the Lord brings repentance. The discipline of the Lord says, I want to never do that again. So God, teach me. God, help me. God, transform me. God, empower me. God, do something in me so that I never, ever, ever, ever do that again. That's godly sorrow. That's what discipline does. It produces godly sorrow and it affirms right it's that kind of discipline and that kind of conviction that says hey guess what you are a child of God because God disciplines those he loves the second thing I want you to see this that discipline does is discipline teaches us doesn't it affirms us that we're the children of God but it teaches us look at this it teaches us submission because the pain of discipline is better than the pain of sin Hebrews 12, 9 says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? Discipline teaches us submission. I made a decision a long time ago. I, I want to live with a yes in my heart to God. And what I mean by that is really simply, uh, simply this. I simply mean when God says, Keith, do that, I want to say, yes, Lord. When God says, Keith, don't do that, I want to say, yes, Lord. When God says, go here, I want to say yes, Lord. When God says, don't go there, I want to say yes, Lord. When God says, say this, I want to say yes, Lord. When God says, keep your mouth shut, I want to say yes, Lord. I want to live with a yes in my heart to God. I want to live in a place of submission. And what, what discipline does is it teaches us submission. It teaches us the value of saying yes to God and saying no to the world. Why? Because the pain of discipline is better than the pain of sin. Let me just say it this way. The pain of the treadmill is better than the pain of the heart attack. The pain of saying no to an extra piece of pie is better than the pain of diabetes. Right? The pain of getting up 30 minutes and having a quiet time with Jesus and staying spiritually sharp and connected and attuned with God is better than going to work and giving into a temptation and yielding to some struggle that you wouldn't have yielded to if you'd have connected with Christ. But because you weren't connected with Christ consistently, you became spiritually vulnerable to the temptation of the enemy. And now you made a decision on your job that might cost you your marriage or might cost you your future or might cost you your family or might cost you your finances. The pain of discipline is better than the pain of sin. 
And when you begin to understand that, the discipline of God teaches us to submit. It teaches us that submission to God's discipline. Did you hear what the scripture said? God's discipline is always good. It's always good. The discipline, right, of investing in your marriage is better than the pain of going through a divorce. The discipline of investing in your children is better than the pain of a dysfunctional family where nobody likes each other or wants to spend time together. Oh, it ain't easy. It's hard. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. It's challenging. But it's worth it. And discipline teaches us that submission to God's will, submission to God's work, because God not only disciplines us, remember, discipline is a holistic approach of training and educating. Conviction is only a part of discipline. Not only is there a conviction when we do wrong, but there is a teaching and a training and an educating that God gives. See, God is always saying to me, I'm just going to be honest with you, every day God's working on me. Do this, do that, say this, say that, study this, read that, pray this, pray that. Every day. Every day God is working on me. Why? Because every day God is teaching and training and educating me to become the person he's called me to be. And it's not just convicting me when I do wrong. It is instructing me and directing me and coaching me and empowering me and enabling me and instructing me and directing me in every little detail of my life. And if you and I will begin to recognize the discipline of the Lord, that God is trying to take us somewhere. God is trying to perfect something in us, the image of his son. If we will do that, we'll begin to submit to the discipline of the Lord. And just little stuff, little stuff. God, God watches out for us. You ever started walking out of the house and you have this thought, I need to take that with me today. And you're like, well, I ain't going to need that. You start reasoning, right? Well, I'm not going to need that. Why would I need that? And then you get to work and you realize, man, I wish I had that. I wish I'd have picked that up. Man, I'm learning. Go back in the house because I'll talk myself out of it the first time. And I'll get in the car. I've literally pulled back in the driveway, went back in the house to get the thing God said to get. And then an hour later or three hours later or six hours later, I'm at the office. I'm doing something. And all of a sudden, I realized the thing I went back and got was the thing I needed right now. Man, you know what that is? God, that is God instructing us. God, that is God teaching us. That is God training us. That is God educating us by the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit to become the people he's called us to be. The last thing, I want you to see this. Discipline not only affirms us, discipline not only teaches us, but discipline produces in us the fruit of holiness and righteousness. It literally shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. There is nobody more holy and there is nobody more righteous. He is the righteousness of God. And Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, I want to reread it to you. It says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Hear that? God wants us to share in his holiness. Look at verse 11. And no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, y'all say afterwards. Afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. 
for those who are trained in this way. Discipline produces holiness and righteousness. It shapes us into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I want to read one last scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to see this. It says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. How many know Jesus had to learn how to submit? To the discipline, the training, the education, the purpose, the plan of God for his life. And in the Garden of Eden, Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And the King James says this, the King James says, and the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. The word perfect is not perfect as without sin. It means mature and complete. Jesus came to completion. He stepped into the fullness that God had for him. How? Through suffering. The word suffering is different than the word discipline. The word suffering literally here in Hebrews 2 means pain. It means pain. But guess what the Bible said in Hebrews 12? Discipline produces pain. So the captain of our salvation, Jesus, was brought into completion and maturity through the suffering that he endured. And the same is true for me and you. But I want to just challenge you with this other thought. Jesus' discipline brought salvation to the world. He, he, he being willing to say yes to the Father, even in spite of the cross, brought salvation to the world. And I want to just propose a thought to you today. I believe that it is our submission to God's discipline that brings salvation to our families, that brings salvation to our community, that brings salvation to our state, to our nation, and to our world. It's not that we saved the world. Oh, no, we could never do that. Jesus is the Savior of the world. But it is through our submission to God's discipline that we reflect the Savior, that we reveal who Jesus really is. And all of a sudden, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our community, our state, our nation, and our world sees Christ in us and through us to such a degree that they want to know Him the one that died for us. Discipline is better than abandoned. May we never be abandoned to our own thoughts and ideas. May we live in a place of sonship and daughtership that says we are the sons and daughters of God. How do I know? Because God disciplines those that He loves. I want you just to bow your heads today. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask you a very important question today. Are you living under the discipline of God? Are you experiencing godly sorrow that brings repentance? Or is the only sorrow for your sin worldly sorrow? And you're just trying to figure out how not to get caught. See, what happens as adults is 
If we're not careful, we'll just play church. And we'll play games with God. And we'll go through the motions and we'll say the right things and we'll shake the right hands. But at the end of the day, we're just doing what we do. Not because we really want to change, but because we don't want to get caught again. And maybe you're here today and you've been trying to cover your sin and cover your sin and cover your sin. I want to tell you today, all of your efforts and all of my efforts to cover our own sin are futile. It'll never work. But there is a sacrifice that has been paid. There is a blood that has been shed that will cover your sins. That'll cover your sins. That'll forgive you and free you from your past. And Jesus Christ himself will empower you to live into the future and the hope that he died for you. Today it is his discipline that affirms us. It is his discipline that teaches us and it is his discipline that produces within us the very nature and character of Christ. If we resist it, we live in a dangerous place, but if we submit to it, the good things that God has for us begin to be revealed. So maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I I just need to be real today and I've never truly surrendered my life to Christ. And maybe you're even honest enough to say, you know what, I've been playing some games with God. But I don't want to play anymore. I want to get real with God. I don't want to live abandoned. I want to come up under the loving discipline of a heavenly Father who cares about me and wants to perfect in me His will, which is good for my life. So today, Pastor Keith, I want to surrender my life to Christ and ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something very simple. I say every week, but very bold. It's an act of faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the only way you can come to God. By faith. So here's the bold but simple thing I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you today, if you're here today and you want to accept Christ, I want to ask you just to stand up, a simple act of faith, and say, today I want to pray to accept Christ. I don't want to play games. I don't want to live on the edge. I don't want to be abandoned to my own lusts and my own desires. I want to serve God. And I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And I want to commit from this day forward to follow Him every moment of every day. I want to trust Jesus today. This is your moment. We're going to take just about 10 more seconds and we're about to pray. But if you need to pray that prayer today, I want you to stand up right now. As you stand to your feet, our ushers are going to come. We're going to slip a packet in your hand today. And we're going to ask you just to fill out that little card in just a moment. But inside that packet is just some information. We want to help you take those next steps. We want to help you grow and become the person God has called you to be. We're about to pray. Is there anyone else who wants to stand this morning? Today, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I'm tired of playing games. It's no longer about not getting caught. I want to get free. And I want to run after God. And I want to know the joy that he has for me. If you're standing, let's pray this prayer. I want to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me out loud. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
Come into my heart and life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I'm tired of playing games. God, today I get real with you. I surrender my life to your Lordship. Forgive me. Fill me. Save me. In Jesus' name. Amen.